Our national superintendent, Rex Rigby, has requested all churches to pray this weekend into the COVID situation. So let me lead you in a prayer. Lord, we pray for the world leaders as they continue to work out what to do in response to this global pandemic. Lord, we ask for your mercy. We ask for your grace. We ask for your healing upon our world at this time. God, we implore you for wisdom for leaders, wisdom that unless you give it to them, they won't have it. Lord, we don't understand the elements related to this disease, not the fullness of it anyway. We just know it's complicated and we ask, oh God, today for mercy, particularly for those countries who are not well equipped medically to cope with this. We ask for a special measure of grace in Jesus' name. We pray for our own nation. We pray for our national leader. We pray for our state leaders. We pray, oh God, your grace and mercy. We pray that the gospel would go forward despite what's happening around us. Thank you that the Word of God cannot be chained. And we pray in 2021 for new, fresh, exciting ways that your spirit would move across this country, across this world. We pray for healing, God. We turn to you. We look to you. We long for your grace. We long for your touch. We long for your breakthrough in this whole area. We commit our world to you and to your safekeeping, O God. We commit our hearts to you now as we open your word together. We long for a teachability. Amen. Please grab your seat. I'd love to give you a huge welcome uh, to Access Church. Now, if you're joining us via the recording, we're recording this on a Saturday night. You may watch this on a Sunday morning as part of our online community. Throw in a comment there if you're doing that. You may watch it at another time. The wonderful thing about God's Word is it doesn't matter when we grasp hold of it. It's relevant to us and, and it's still useful to us at any time. So whenever you are joining this, we just bless you and uh, welcome you in Jesus' name. Now, a quick comment on something coming out of the, the video earlier. This is our family. For newcomers, particularly if that's you, and you've missed registering this week for that, that, uh, that bre- brunch, went to say breakfast and I lunch, knew both of those were wrong, brunch. If you're come, planning to come tomorrow, well, we have really got a lot already, but we are putting on another one next weekend to cater for the many people that are interested in that. So please shoot us an email through the week or ch- chat to Joe and get connected in with that if you haven't already. So I'm super excited beginning beginning this new series, Come Together. Uh, we're starting this weekend. We'll go for the next coming weeks, uh, kind of use this theme as a lead up to Easter. I reckon you've had times in your life where you've had glimpses of this coming together, of real community, of genuine friendship, of a group of people coming together. It's when someone asks, how are you going? And actually means it and actually hangs around long enough to get the response. It's when someone doesn't just say, let me know if I can do anything for you, but just shows up and mows the lawns. Uh, It's when someone takes action instead of just posturing. It's when you've had a really, really tough day and your friend knows it and sends a text and just says, I'm here, as opposed to slapping a Bible verse on you as some kind of one-size-fits-all response. It's when you're in a room and you feel the warmth of that room. You feel the acceptance of that room. You feel the embrace of your friends and you can kind of let your guard down and know you are safe. 
in that environment. And you're not left constantly questioning, what are they thinking of me? What are they thinking of me? It's when you make a rip-roaring mistake, but the people in your circle at that point in time have really little interest in the nitty-gritty details of that mistake. And there's this far more interest in helping you pick up the pieces. This is what it means to come together. And I hope that over these coming weeks, we can relearn some of these skills because largely they've been lost. One of my favourite memories of people coming together and community is back in Victoria a few years back where there was a guy who owned a motorbike and this would have been well after an hour that church had finished. And I was the last to leave. I was locking up the building and I see these hive of men around this motorbike. Now the motorbike hadn't started and so this guy's stuck there after church, probably as I say, well after an hour the church is done and there was these eight or ten men with him. He was stuck so they were staying. They weren't just going to leave him and go, well, hope everything works out, catch you later. They were staying. Now, some of them were mechanically challenged like me, so they're really not much use apart from moral support, but they were staying with him. And that's what community looks like. You say, John, well, that's not rocket science. Surely anyone can do that. Yes, they can, but we've lost so much of this ability to come together. What I loved about that is those folks had been to church inside the building and now they were starting to do church outside the building. Whatever had inspired them in the room, in the church building was now being carried out and being lived out outside the walls. Now that's community 101, but much of the time we kind of miss each other and we failed to do this. As we kick off this weekend, I want to take you to Acts chapter 2. It's the A1 standard of what it looks like to come together in community. So let's jump right in from verse 42 of Acts 2 and read all about it. Now, what's just happened is Peter, one of the church leaders, has just delivered this hard-hitting message and a bunch of people have responded positively, like 3,000 of them. So that's an overnight mega church that's just happened here. But what I love about this story is they didn't just grow wide they actually grew deep as well. That's the best part here. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and the prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes to the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. With the beginning of this new series, uh, I'll give you a warning. It's going to be like drinking from a fire hydrant in this first little session because we're going to cover a lot of territory in a short amount of time. And we're going to finish with some practical um, ideas of what we're going to do here locally in our access community to put these principles into practice and finish with a celebration of communion. So if you're joining us online, get ready for that at the end with some uh, juice and crackers. I'd love to do a deep dive in this passage, but really we don't have time for that. But we're just going to acknowledge straight up, we have struck 
gold. When it comes to Acts 2.44, this is the gold standard of coming together. Look at it. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. That's the pinnacle of godly community right there. Verse 44, it's sensational. It doesn't get better than that. Three words really pop here. All, one and everything. It's powerful terminology. It describes the apex of community. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. If you want a definition of what coming together looks like, that's it right there. However, spoil alert before you get too carried away with that kind of um, fairy tale kind of environment. By the time you click to chapter 5 of Acts, this utopia has ended. It lasts just three chapters before they start fighting and disunity sets in. So be careful of the rose-coloured glasses that says, if we could just get back to the good old days. This honeymoon period didn't last long. And it reminds me of the words of Lee Matthews, who was a famous AFL premiership coach with the Brisbane Lions. He used to say, after a great win or a great loss, he'd say the same thing. Things are never as good as they seem. Things are never as bad as they seem. He just had this consistent line, things are never as good as they seem, things are never as bad as they seem. And it's true, there's some wisdom in that. Be careful of making the early church overly shiny and missing the challenges that they had. We can learn from their example, we can be inspired by their examples, I hope we will be. But particularly by their devotion to teaching, fellowship, prayer and communion. But let our inspiration be realistic. We must keep moving forwards. We can't wind the clock back. We can't go back to what they had. We can't think if we just follow their example, we'll get exactly the same results. No, I'm not so sure. I think that's simplistic. I think that's to miss what's happened in the 2000 years since then. So I'm saying this, there's a cultural chasm that now exists between Acts chapter 2 and what we're dealing with in Australia right now. Society back then thought communally. This was their everyday existence to do life in community. This wasn't even necessarily a Christian value. It was just a value. It was just a value in society that they lived together in a communal way, both inside and outside the church. New Testament scholar Mark Strauss says this, residents usually included parents, children, grandparents, and often aunts and uncles, Wealthy households would also include slaves. In other words, there were lots of people around in every single house. Grandma and Grandpa were down the hallway. Aunt Beatrice, she was that way. She was on the top bunk. On the bottom bunk was niece, 10-year-old Candace. And at the other end of the property in the backyard was a caravan. And out there was Aunt Betty, and she wasn't alone. Up the other end were her in-laws in the caravan. There was just like people everywhere. A household was a swarming beehive of activity. Things have shifted. And to say, oh, let's just go back to way, the way they did things. No, 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 things have shifted. Things have changed. Some, some pretty significant cultural changes happened. In terms of the cultural triba, tribal culture that existed, I'll use an inflammatory example, potentially inflammatory example. The older men used to go out and hunt for the day and they would take the younger men alongside with them, right? 
And they were responsible to go out and get the food. And there would be a pack of them. And there would be training. There would be mentoring. There would be life-on-life contact happening in all that interaction. And the older women would stay back and they would cook and they would clean and they would do duties and they would teach a younger generation around the campfire, back at camp, about how life was meant to be. Now, of course, that sets off some gender triggers today. You're saying, oh, you're saying the women are meant to stay home and work and the men are meant to go, sorry, stay home and do activities there and the men are meant to go out and work. No, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying there was a transfer of skills that happened within that environment that we are now missing. We are no longer communal. This generation is missing all of that. And to say, let's just go back is to miss what's happened since. The horses bolted. We're not going back there. And unless you're about to invite 50 of your extended family into your home, don't even begin saying such a thing because it's ridiculous to say the statement that we can go back. Can I even paint a darker picture just for a moment? It's worse than this. Even at a more basic human level, we've forgotten how to talk to each other. Hugh McKay says this, Australians spend three hours a day on screens and 12 minutes a day in conversation. We've forgotten how to have a conversation. We've forgotten how to relate. We are bankrupt when it comes to all this. And we read our New Testaments and we read, well, Faith is a team sport. We pick up this Bible and we read here there's 71 and other commands just in the New Testament alone about how we're supposed to do life together. And we, we try and plug and play that and go, we just need to be like them. Well, sorry, things have changed. That New Testament was written into a culture that were already together. They just had to keep their together healthy. We're not even together anymore. Things have dramatically Shifted. On the whole, our lifestyle is no longer communal. We live and we operate in seclusion. And it's rare, not rare rather, for people to go through a day without having a conversation with another human being. So where to from here? I haven't got the time nor expertise to grapple with all the issues of disconnect in our society. Let's zoom in on the church for a moment because we've lost community there as well. Now, of course, we're swimming in the same water as our next-door neighbours, so we're being affected by all the things I've already mentioned. But there's a specific church trend that's been a game-changer as well. Within Christendom, the church family isn't very good at doing life together either. What's broken that down? Well, let's talk for a moment about the impact of the Protestant Reformation. Back in 1500, now I realise when I say 1500, there's many of you mentally that are gone, boring, he's talking about something way back there that's got nothing to do with me. No, it's got plenty to do with you. Stay tuned. There was just one church back in 1500. It was the Catholic Church. I grew up in the Protestant uh, movement, which means for me back then when, when I was this high, the Catholics were the enemy the Catholics and the Protestants were like, you know, there was, there was no talking going on between those two. I grew up thinking Catholic meant evil. They were the bad church, we were the good church. Catholic actually just means universal. It's just the worldwide church. Another interpretation of Catholic just means whole. So the whole church was one church back in 1500. Now there was a priest within the Catholic church the only church at the time, whose name was Martin Luther. 
And he rose up against the organisation. He said, I think things are wrong. I think there's some things here that, uh, where, whereby people are being abused, such as them having to pay for forgiveness, which was one of the things that was going on. And that, among many other things, meant that this guy, Luther, couldn't tolerate it any longer. And he um, became known for a movement known as the Reformation that would later happen where the church split off. We had the Protestant denominations, in other words, the protest, the Protestant denomination by which all of these other churches have formed and the Catholic denomination or the universal church that stayed. Now, Luther reacted to what he saw as an authoritative church that was overreaching its boundaries and not treating people with respect, etc., and he's right. The things that he was reacting against were, were absolutely needed to change. But here's the thing. Whenever we react, we always overreact. We never just take a step. This is what you need to understand about yourself in life. We never just take a step back towards the middle. We always end up in a ditch way over on the other side. And this is what's happening, many of these issues that Luther was reacting against. Not even him necessarily, but over time, we've overreacted. I'll talk about the effects of those in just a moment. Another thing that Luther had a problem with was that only the priests could read the Bible. And so we have many things to be thankful for, for what Luther has done, because he, through him and through others, wasn't just him alone, but through people around during that time, uh, the, you know, the control that the church held so tightly got demolished. And everyday people got the Bible in their own hands. And that's good news, yeah? You can read the God's Word for yourself. This is wonderful stuff. Until then, the big universal church held power until Luther come along and challenged that. What's the overflow of that as we look back all of these years on? Well, the overflow is that faith has eventually become privatised. So, so what's going on in my life is nothing to do with you. And what's going on in your life is nothing to do with me because we're all in authority on our own walk with God. This is kind of the eventual outcome that this direction triggered. My faith is mine. Your faith is yours. Never the two shall meet. The good outcome was that faith became personal. This was the blessing of the Reformation. The bad outcome or the overreaction, if you like, is that faith became private. Faith became private and your faith was nothing to do with the church leaders anymore. You got to decide where your walk with God was at. Faith eventually become privatised. Faith become an individual sport. Did Luther plan this? Of course not. And the issues he raised were relevant issues. But over time we've drifted, we've drifted, we've drifted where now a walk with God is all about you and baby Jesus. You get to make your call and you get to operate without any accountability. No one's got the right to tell you what to do or where you're at with God. These are the outcomes of the Reformation. Our gospel message has got to a point where we say things like this. Why don't you pray and invite Jesus into your heart? See how privatised we've made that? Do you know that that message is actually not in the New Testament? 
Jesus didn't say, why don't you pray and invite me into your heart? He never approached people in that way. There's a couple of problems with that. It puts us in charge of Jesus. He's something that we get to control and invite into our small space. When actually he did it the other way around, he said, come follow me. So the invite was actually, if you want to get on board the the ship I'm on, then you're welcome, but I'll be doing the directing. You don't get to invite me. I'm inviting you. So who's doing the inviting matters? But even more than that, when Jesus said, come follow me, the implication was, join my team. Join my team. This won't be a you and I one-on-one situation. This will be you and 11 other ragamuffins that we'll be hanging out and doing life together with. Come and follow me. But just note, we'll be doing that as a team. We'll be doing that together. I'm trying to summarise 500 years of church history into five minutes. How foolish of me. I hope some of that has made sense. Faith has become a matter of mind your own business. Nobody gets to to question where I'm at with God. That's between me and God. Really? Where do we get that from? We kind of have this approach now, well, if I'm a foot, I I get to decide what I want to do with that foot. If I want to kick this thing, it's up to me if I want to kick this thing. And we've kind of lost all sense of awareness that actually if my foot is injured, my whole body feels the impact of that but we've began operating in isolation and forgetting that Christ has called us a body that we are connected that every action I choose impacts everybody else let me get in your face for just a moment if you stayed up all last night watching porn it affects the body in some strange way some spiritual way, you carry all of that in here. I don't understand the fullness of that. I just believe that we do. In the opposite end of the spectrum, if you stay up all night praying, you carry that spirit in here. We impact each other in a far greater way than we'll ever understand. What are we going to do about all this? What are we going to do from here? I want to give you a corporate response from us as a church over the next few weeks. And are we going to fix 500 years of trends with these next few weeks of focus? Absolutely not. But we are going to slowly turn this ship around. And I'm getting really, really, really gritty here. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to focus on devoting ourselves to the thing that this early church devoted themselves to. So here goes. Prayer. We're going to have a greater devotion to prayer. Some of you have already heard about our week of prayer that's coming up on Feb 14 to 20. I challenge you to engage in that in a higher level than you ever have before. We're going to have prayer at the end of every church service. And so over here uh, on the, on the right-hand side of stage or your left-hand side, there'll be elders here after each church service available to pray with you. We're going to have communion. We're going to have communion every single time we gather between now and Easter because we want to just increase our devotion to Jesus and all that he has done for us. And we're going to gather regularly around the Lord's table. 
we are going to increase our capacity to fellowship. Hence the reason for us setting out this outdoor pavilion. So we want you to flow out there. and We want you to mingle. We want you to fellowship. We're doing practical things to increase our devotion to these things. We're, we've got all these home groups all aligning under, under these themes in, for the remainder of this term. And the material will take the, these challenges from these messages and aim to put them into practice and devote ourselves to these things. Will they fix the chasm between Acts 2 and now? Uh, uh. There's no way of doing that. But will we be able to recapture some of their devotion to community? I hope so. I hope so. Here's where the challenge is on you. What are you going to do about this cultural chasm that's existed where we've got fragmented and where we're in our own little worlds and where we don't really have life together really sorted out? Here's my challenge to you. Authenticity can help. Authenticity can help. Our connection window in this day and age is so, so small. It's so small. It's so small. It's, it's not unusual for us to, to push the button and drive out of our garage in our cars, past our neighbours, never actually greet them or speak to them. And we head off to work and we sit on a computer all day alone, not really interacting or talking to people. And we drive home and we push the button and the door comes up. And we drive in and we push the button again and the door comes down and we, we don't have to interact with the world at all, yeah? And this is how life often happens. And you say, well, you know, I need to connect more. But here's the problem. Let's get real. We have 168 hours in a given week. And that sounds like a lot when you say 168. But in actuality, when it comes to spare hours, to hours where you don't have commitments, especially if you're a parent of young children, your window is even smaller. You've probably actually got one or two amongst that 168 where you actually have a choice on what you're going to do with your time. So our connection opportunities are actually very, very small. And let's just own these challenges for a sec. By the time we get to work, by the time we pay the bills, by the time we feed the dog, by the time we do our exercise, by the time we do all of these things, spend time with the family, you look at your life and you go, where am I going to connect? Where am I ever going to go deep with somebody? And it's frustrating and it's not an easy fix and we feel so time poor. That's not my greatest frustration. You know my greatest frustration is even as we come to church and spend an hour engaging with our church family, we have this tiny, weeny little connection that's even smaller than that hour, which is the five or ten minutes or so of mingling. And we often waste it. We spend just time talking about surface issues. Did you get to that restaurant you were telling me about last week? Did your sporting team win? Oh, how's the weather been? We could do with some more rain. It's like, wow, is any of that evil? Of course not. But could we do better? Yes. Yes, absolutely we could. Why don't we take a risk? Why don't we be more real? Why don't we be more authentic? Why don't we go there more often and be real? 
I wish I could somehow crunch more into that 168. I wish I could get a bonus 10 somehow. I wish I could say, Lord, can you just stop the clock every now and again and give me more time for connection? But it's not happening. 168 is all we got. But it's a matter of when that little window for connection does come. What are you going to do with it? You're just going to play at the shallow end of the pool forever? Or are you going to go the deep end sometimes and actually get real? Now, I get it. We've got to start at the shallow end as we get to know people. But if you look across the recesses of your life and you go, I, I, I can't remember the last time I ever talked about a heart issue. It could be years that I've actually ever shared at a deep level, actually shared the depths of what's going on in my soul. Oh, I just can't remember when that last happened. If that's you, <laughs> that's a problem. That's a problem. You're missing the opportunity of doing life together. There was a family in my church in Victoria. They had a son who was eight years old and he struggled all of his life with physical challenges, very, very sick, was born sick and had challenges all his life and he ended up dying at just eight years old. It was a tragedy. And I remember Yvonne and I got the opportunity to visit this couple not long before this young boy passed and by this stage the boy was blind and he just laid there, pretty much a vegetable. And his father, it brings tears to my eyes remembering, his father just sat there and just delighted in his son and just stroked him and loved him for his final days. And I remember the years that followed. This is probably a story could be eight years ago. But I remember a year later, two years later, four years later, I'd say to that couple, how are you going with your grief? I dared to go there. And every time without fail, they would cry when I asked the question. I'm talking two years on, I'm talking four years on, I'm talking six years on. Their, their eyes would well up in tears as they remembered their son every single time. It's like, Jonah, why would you keep on bringing up such a painful wound? Because I wanted to share it. I wanted to cry with them. I wanted to be present. And just by being real, it, it, it opened up. They were real with me too. I mean, they could have just faked it. They could have just gone on the surface and said, yeah, fine, fine, fine. That's, that's our one word answer, isn't it? I'm fine. But they decided every single time to open their heart to me. And so I decided to keep asking. And we only get the rewards of community when we apply the associated devotion to it. If we're going to sow shallow will reap shallow. If we're going to just stay on the surface forever, let's not expect deep relationships. Let's not expect that people are going to open their hearts really to us. But if we're going to sow shallow, we reap shallow. But if we're going to sow deep, we'll reap deep. 
and we will learn to do life together. I pray that today and over coming weeks, your heart will become more and more open. Just as you realise, hey, I can trust my heart to God first and then I can trust my heart second to God's people because it's already safe in his embrace. We sung about it just a moment ago. He holds our heart. What have we got to lose by being a little more open with one another? We're going to move into communion and I invite the music team back as we do that. And you've probably heard me say before and you'll probably hear me say it again. The Bible's big idea in one sentence is God wants his family back. God wants his family back. And this wonderful opportunity we have in communion is to remember that. And so I invite you to grab your elements in hand in just a moment. We'll share together. Would you like to stand? As if you manage to get that plastic part open on the top without spilling everything. We invite you to share together in remembering Jesus and all he's done. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body given for you. So take a moment in your own heart to thank him for his broken body. join together in eating. I invite you to have the cup in hand and we'll share in just a moment. same way he took the cup and said this cup is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood Jesus says do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim you announce you broadcast the Lord's death until he comes again let's drink together family